You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Welcome to BGM Politics. In this premiere episode, I am excited to talk to author, human rights activist, and attorney Qasem Rashid, who is running as a Democratic Party candidate for Virginia Senate District 28. Qasem is vying to become the first Muslim state senator by challenging incumbent Republican State Senator Richard Stewart, who has run unopposed since 2007. The last time a Democrat was elected in Virginia's 28th State Senate District was 1975, over 40 years ago. So Cossum definitely has some challenges here, but he's up for it. The 2018 election's results is proof positive that he certainly has a shot. The 116th U.S. Congress became the first Congress since the 99th U.S. Congress elected in 1984, in which Democrats control the U.S. House of Representatives and the Republican control the U.S. Senate, which is where we are now. Qasem also works to bring awareness to the othering of Muslims and recently shared that in a TED Talk. Take a listen. Very few Americans know Muslims. According to Pew, 62% of Americans have never met a Muslim in their entire life. And there's a powerful lobby trying to keep it that way. Since 9-11, there have been over $200 million spent solely to create fear and propaganda against Muslims. And that same lobby that is funding these anti-Muslim articles and propaganda is also funding the white nationalist Nazi movements that we're seeing rise. So they're definitely connected. But to blame that would be a mistake as well. Even seemingly liberal publications like the New York Times, for example, last year published more articles uh, showing cancer in a positive light than Islam. When your religion has a worse rap than cancer, you've got a lot of PR work to do. Virginia State Senate District 28 represents parts of Prince William, Stafford, Spotsylvania, King George, and Westmoreland counties. In Virginia, all 140 seats are up for grabs on the November 5th ballot. Republicans hold a slim majority in both the House of Delegates and the Senate, so voters will determine who controls both chambers. And, as it says on his website, he loves to laugh and believes dad jokes are one important key to building bridges across race, religion, nationality, and political party. Kasim, tell us a little bit about who you are and why you got into politics. Well, first, I want to thank you for this platform. I, I deeply cherish the work that you guys do. It's, uh, it's pivotal and it's paradigm shifting. And so to have a small part in it means a lot to me. Uh, I'm a human rights lawyer. I'm not a politician by training. I had no history or desire of being a politician, but I've spent my life serving communities who have historically been ignored and marginalized, whether it's children uh, who need access to education and healthcare, women who are survivors of domestic and sexual violence, or immigrants and refugees who are seeking documented and protected status. Uh, my, my role, what I've seen my life's purpose is to provide them support and provide them access. And this uh, jump into politics is really about taking my advocacy and transforming it into policy. Um, I, I've said this on the campaign trail a million times, but I believe it to be completely true that we often forget that our constitution begins with we the people, not we the corporations or we the lobbyists or we the corporate super PACs. 
And so we're running a grassroots people-powered campaign. And so far, we have had a lot of success and we're excited about November 5th. That's amazing. I mean, I, I just love it when you decide to take a problem or an issue that you see and and turn it into something where you're actually, you know, doing some activism behind the work. I noticed that you have a really strong social media presence and sometimes social media can be a bit of a two-edged sword. Why why do you use social media to communicate your message? Because it's an effective way of communication and it allows you to control your own narrative. Uh, look, you know, as as people of color, I mean, I'm an immigrant as well, I'm a faith minority. If I don't tell my own story, somebody else is going to tell it for me and they're going to tell it according to their worldview, uh, not my worldview. And so my philosophy is that we need to be our own champions. No one else is going to come and you know, save us, so to speak. And so much of my focus on social media is trying to create the accurate and, and correct narrative of what a lot of these you know, issues that we deal with on a daily basis. I'll give you one really good example. Uh, you know, one of my big issues with uh, the current administration in the White House is their war on uh, middle class and lower income Americans. And, and mm-hmm. you know, when I'm knocking on doors, I've knocked on thousands and thousands of doors so far. The first thing a Republican will say to me is that, you know, you liberals, uh, you just want to call him a racist and that's all you have. You don't have anything else. And my response will be, well, you said racist, not me. So you should think about that. Um, but my issue is the fact that he is cutting taxes for billionaires to the tune of $1.7 trillion, and he's raising taxes on middle-class people. Uh, the rich get tax cuts, the poor get snap cuts. And that's my fundamental problem with this administration, that he's creating a massive divide. It was already bad enough previously, and he's making it worse between the rich and the poor. Right now, the, uh, the, the wealth gap between the rich and the poor is worse in October of 2019 than it was in October of 1929, right before the Great Depression. So with social media, it helps me communicate that. And, and, and as far as I can see with my network, clear up misconceptions. And, and I'm excited about the fact that I have not just liberals and Democrats following me, but I've got a significant number of independents and Republicans who recognize that this stuff has to go beyond politics. This is basic human dignity stuff, and we have to stand together on it. I agree completely. Uh, You know, this president ran as a populist and, you know, promised so many Americans that he was the Washington outsider and he's going to promise all of these jobs and he's not within the beltway. And as it turns out, he's exactly that. And I'm hoping that many of the voters that turned out to vote for him in hopes that he was there for them as working class Americans will see that, you know, it was all just a joke or just a plan to get into the office and that they'll vote blue in November. I know that you're currently running here in Virginia, this the state that I live in. Virginia's ranked 41st on the environment, which I actually had no idea that it was that low. What can Virginians do to help improve on this issue? And what kind of legislation are you supporting to ensure that we have a healthy environment? Well, the first thing they can do is vote on November 5th. Everyone's so focused on 2020, they forget that in 2019, we've got a a major election where all 140 seats of the legislature are up for grabs. Um, Second thing is when they vote, vote Democrat, uh, because we're focused on recognizing that climate change is real, it's caused by human activity, 
this is what the science tells us. You know, my opponent is a Republican who chairs a Senate Environment Committee. It's an extraordinarily powerful position. And in his time, in his 12 years of being unchallenged, he has done nothing but continue to devastate our environment. In fact, our environment rankings have dropped from the time he came into office to now. If that, you know, if you ever want to talk about uh, actions speak louder than words, his actions have helped us drop in the environment rankings. Um, he is uh, supportive of offshore drilling. He has not banned fracking, even though you've got a governor who wants to ban it. Um, he has not joined the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which is an initiative to cut greenhouse gas emissions and drive down uh, electricity costs. Um, and, uh, and he continues to take money from uh, companies like Appalachian Power and Dominion, who have just wreaked havoc on our environment. So the things that I'll do in office, I've actually already begun. So for example, I have rejected all money from these uh, energy companies who simply don't have the environment as a priority because it, it hurts their bottom line. So first and foremost, we've been endorsed by Clean Virginia because we reject what I call you know corrupt money. Um, second, I would absolutely ensure that we join REGI, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, not just because it's environmentally conscious, but it also drives down electricity costs. Th those states like North Carolina and Maryland that have joined over the last five years have seen a 6% drop in electricity costs. We've seen a 6% increase. Um, and the third thing I would do is I, I don't think Reggie goes far enough. I think we need to make it more aggressive. We need to be at zero emissions by 2030 to 2035 rather than by 2050 because every year is becoming more and more crucial and critical. And, and again, you know, there's this myth that it would economically harm us to become green. And all the data actually shows quite the opposite. Uh, you know, if we build wind farms who, by the way, don't cause cancer, contrary to what the president claims, um, the starting salary for a wind technician is in the $50,000 a year range, which is right around the, the median household income. So the money is there, the logic is there, and we just need the political will to execute with public servants funded by people, not by corporations who have a different agenda. And do you also support, because I know a concern for a lot of Americans, and I'm certain Virginians as well, is that when we do transition to clean new energy, will they have jobs uh, for those that are working in these fossil fuel industries? Well, I think that's where we need to work together and have a logical transition plan. And, you know, when when cars came about, we didn't uh, um, worry about the people who owned horse farms, right? We, we transitioned them, they transitioned. And, and when, when the internet came about, the post office transitioned from mail. We didn't you know, stifle the internet because we wanted to keep sending letters and wait three days for our mail to arrive. So here's another opportunity. Technology adv is advancing and we have an opportunity to take our hardworking neighbors who are working in the fossil fuel, fuel industry and slowly but consistently transition them to newer technologies so they can still play the vital role they play in energizing our communities in getting us the resources we need to live the quality of life that we're living. What we don't want to do is just have a, a drop dead date or have a cliff where we tell people, tough luck, your, your whole industry is shut down, uh, let's you know, figure it out. There are opportunities, there are resources, there are grants, there are initiatives that we already have available and that we need to continue to develop to transition uh, those who are in the industry now and to tr transition new generations to be able to take advantage of these things. And, and, I, and I think that's a fundamental thing. Technology is always going to advance and rather than try to resist it, 
Let's find ways to understand it and embrace it so that we can continue to improve the quality of life for all people involved. Absolutely. And I think what's also really important for Virginians and Americans at large is healthcare. You know, in addition to having jobs, we want to make sure that our health is being taken care of, our families are being taken care of. If we go to the doctor, if there's an emergency, that we're not going into debt because of it. And I'm glad that there's been a recent expansion of Medicaid here in Virginia, which you support. Uh, you mentioned on your website that healthcare is a human right, which I agree completely. What are your thoughts on single payer healthcare, also known as Medicare for All? I think it makes a lot of sense. And when you look at the approval rates of people who have single payer or people who have government uh, afforded healthcare, their happiness with their healthcare system is significantly higher than Americans who are on the private sector. And it makes sense why, right? Nobody likes to have to change their doctor. No one likes to have to find someone new to take their kids to. You know, I've got three kids. Every time we have to change a physician, they have to get the records. It's a hassle. It's a pain. They don't know the, the allergy history or the vaccination history. The fact of the matter is, is that it makes no sense that your healthcare is tied to your employment. Um, why should my employer have any insight into what my health conditions are when it comes to me needing the treatment I need to stay healthy. It simply fundamentally doesn't make sense. And when you look at countries like the United Kingdom and Canada, they have a significantly higher approval rating of their healthcare systems than we do here in America. And they spend significantly less money as well. You know, people like to cite the CBO report that a, a, a Medicare for all will cost about $31 trillion over the next decade. And they say that, well, that's just, you know, it's too much. We can't afford it. But they forget the second part of that report, which says that the current model that covers only about 80 to 90% of Americans will cost $33 trillion over the next 10 years. Mm. So, you know, the current model costs more and covers fewer people and has a lower approval rating. It doesn't make any logical sense to continue working with something that's broken. Now, now here in Virginia, with Democrats leading the charge, and we fortunately got a few Republicans to, to flip and join us. We did pass Medicaid expansion, and that's given healthcare access to 320,000 more Virginians. And these are people who can now get, you know, cancer screenings, mental health treatment. And one really significant thing is, you know, when we talk about the opioid addiction, um, with Medicaid expansion, 20,000 new Virginians now are getting treatment for this addiction, for this illness. And if we were to repeal Medicaid expansion, which my Republican opponent has promised to do if reelected, that's 20,000 people thrown back on the street and told, tough luck, deal with it. Wow. You know, people will die. This is not, let's not mince words. People will die if this reckless and callous, and in my view, immoral action is taken. So that's why we need people to come out and vote and vote in massive numbers. Every single poll out there shows the single deciding factor of whether we protect healthcare, whether we protect women, or whether we protect minorities comes down to this. Do we get a high voter turnout? If people vote, we win. If they don't, we're going to be sadly going backwards and we can't let that happen. Absolutely. I agree. And you're not exaggerating it at all when you say people will die. We've seen cases like that and just even on the national stage with the young man that died that was a diabetic um, because he couldn't afford diabetic medication. And then the elderly couple that killed themselves because they couldn't afford health care. Um, and also just seeing what's going on with the GM strike right now and these workers that 
have their healthcare taken away because like you said, it we shouldn't have our healthcare tied to our employer. So it's a very important issue and people really need to uh, look at their local candidates who are running and see if they are supporters of having you know, healthcare for every American. So I'm glad that that's something you support. It's it's one of the top issues for me uh, personally as a voter. Well, the GM strike is is particularly egregious because they cut off health insurance to employees, knowing that these employees have children who are getting cancer treatment. Right. And rather than have the basic compassion uh, of, for these children, um, they cut it off. And and it's not like. GM is hurting. I mean, they have $17.5 billion in cash reserves. They have 80 days of inventory available. Um, and that's all made possible because of their workers. I mean, that's just fundamentally it. Without their workers, there's, there's no company. There's nothing that exists. And so for them to now tell their workers, sorry, we're not going to pay you what you're worth, or we're not going to give you a basic quality of life adjustment. Uh, instead, we're going to cut off your kid's cancer treatment. I mean, I think that's fundamentally what's wrong with this country that uh, it goes back to my point earlier that, you know, uh, the, the wealthy have every access available to them and the middle class and poor are told, uh, suck it up. It's what Dr. King said over 50 years ago that in America, you have socialism for the wealthy and rugged individualism for the poor. Uh, that needs to stop. It does. And, you know, it makes me think of sort of the criticism and the GOP talking points on uh, Medicare for all. Well, you know, it's going to raise taxes and how are we going to pay for it? But then when you think about the GM case, they were bailed out by the government and our taxpayer dollars help pay for their bailout. And many of those workers um, that are now being impacted by this uh, issue of their health care being taken away were st- there when it happened. And I believe many of them didn't even take pay raises during that bailout period. Uh, because GM was, you know, trying to get themselves back up financially. So it's just, it's like you said, it's an egregious situation. And um, it's just really disturbing to think that when we're talking about issues that actually are supposed to help Americans, that's supposed to enhance our quality of life, that we call into question, well, how are we going to pay for it? But when it comes to things like bailing out big companies, spending money on the military, uh, then you know we don't we don't really think about those. Of course not. I mean, I, I was uh, studying the history of this. Uh, a report just came out yesterday in the New York Times that said that uh, the top 400 wealthiest Americans, who have a combined worth of about 2.7 trillion dollars, um, they are now the lowest taxed demographic of anyone in America. We have 43 million Americans living in poverty, living below the poverty line. But these 400 people who are worth nearly $3 trillion are paying lower taxes than they are. And when you look at American history over the last 40 years in particular, uh, you've had zero bailouts of the middle class. You've had a dozen bailouts of the big banks and of the major industries to the tune of well over $10 trillion. So again, this, this myth, this lie that we can't afford it is a, simply a statement that says, that billionaires uh, and, and, and trillion-dollar corporations don't want to be accountable to the middle class that made them as wealthy as they are. And so, therefore, we just need to suck it up and uh, get by on scraps while they continue to live in these castles and ivory towers. I mean, it's, it's modern-day feudalism when you look at the wealth and income inequality. And, and until and unless we take an active role 
in, in voting and in being actively involved in the process, it's only going to get worse. I mean, I, I fear for the stability of our economic future at this rate, because this is simply not sustainable. BGM Politics will return in just a moment. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me personally, I put really high expectations on myself, and that can get really stressful. And many times it's kind of hard to talk to friends and family members about those things. And I need to speak to a professional. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash BGN. That's better H-E-L-P and join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health. For Black Girl Nerds listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash BGN. That's better H-E-L-P.com forward slash BGN and get 10% off your first month. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I hear the fact that Jeff Bezos paid zero taxes, um, it just, it makes me want to scream. It's just, it's ridiculous. Meanwhile, you know, there are people that are struggling to pay their taxes because they're earning either minimum wage or even less than minimum wage in some circumstances. But um, someone that's earning over $150 billion a year doesn't have to pay taxes. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. System. Yeah. 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 It's mind boggling. I mean, even right now in Virginia, for every one homeless person, there are 11 empty houses. Oh, goodness. Wow. Isn't that wild? That, that is wild. Uh, you know, speaking of Virginia, I um, I saw your position on gerrymandering, and that's a huge issue that um, is impacting our state. And I completely agree that we really need to add a ballot proposal to make gerrymandering and voter suppression illegal. I know, I want to know, should we add issues to ballot proposals to get more people out and vote? Like, for example, the um, the issue of like making marijuana legal was a ballot proposal that had been used in the past to bring out voters? So the, the way we uh, do it, I mean, I think the short answer to your question is yes, absolutely. Um, the way that we redistrict in Virginia is that once the, the census happens on a federal level, which is constitutionally mandated, then the state legislatures redistrict. And the redistricting will happen one way or another. The, the difference this time is that there is an attempt, and so far so good, to ensure that the redistricting happens uh, by an independent, nonpartisan uh, organization. I would love to sit here and tell you that uh, the evil Republicans are the ones who screwed up the districts, but that wouldn't be accurate. Mm -hmm. um, this was uh, an evil attempt by Democrats and Republicans who worked together to gerrymander uh, our state to where it is today. And, and so I want to be clear about that. I'm running as a Democrat, but I'm calling out my fellow Democrats Thank for messing this Thank you for doing that, by the way. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think, I think you have to be honest about that. You, you know, I, I'm not the guy who toes the party line. I'm going to uphold justice. Right. And, uh, and Democrats screwed up just as badly as Republicans, and they need to be accountable to that. So that's why I want an independent commission as well. And the way it works here is to, to, to do that, you need to have uh, the legislature vote for it, which they did in 2019. Then they need to vote for it again to affirm the 2019 vote. And then, um, in the, uh, so they'll do that in January of 2020, hopefully, if, if we maintain the House and the Senate or win the House and the Senate. And then it'll go to a people's vote on the November ballot of 2020. And once that happens, then the independent commission will be able to come in and redistrict using algorithms and, and you know, some more science. But, um, but that, it's, a, it's a lengthy process, and it's done that way deliberately to ensure that the decisions made aren't taken lightly and that people are contemplative and, and reflective about them. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, even something like marijuana. I, I was in a, the one debate that my opponent showed up to. Uh, he had the audacity to say when I said that we need to decriminalize uh, uh, marijuana because it is devastating communities of color. He had the audacity to say, quote, I can assure you not that many people are being arrested for marijuana. <laughs> I mean, how out of touch do you need to be? And this is a formal Commonwealth attorney, by the way. This is a former Commonwealth attorney. Um, never mind the fact that uh, marijuana arrests have tripled since 1999. Never mind the fact that while Black Virginians represent 20% of the population, they represent nearly 50% of marijuana arrests. Uh, never mind that the rate of marijuana usage is nearly double among White Virginians than it is Black Virginians. I mean, there's such a racist uh, legacy of Jim Crow and slavery embedded in this. But you have a person who's one of the most powerful state senators saying, quote, I can assure you not that many people are being arrested for marijuana. So, so again, it goes back to, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's so crucial, you know, when we vote, we win. And, you know, my, my campaign manager, Kim Cummings, she's just, I adore her. She's African-American woman, retired educator, uh, just a, a, a lion or lioness of, of um, justice and activism um, in Virginia. And you know, her and I were talking and we were looking at the poll numbers and the stats. And she goes, I don't believe it. And I'm like, what's that? She goes, if nobody else votes, but black women come out and vote at, uh, at 60%, then we win the election. That's it. Black women control the election. And <laughs> I'm like, well, that's pretty cool yeah. because black women have saved America basically every single time in the past. Maybe they can save us there as well. <laughs> That's true. I've read so many reports about Black women just being able to change the whole entire framework of our democracy. And I, I hope that more of us um, will be coming out to vote. And And it's important to not only just focus on the big elections, because that's what gets the most TV advertising and exposure, and you see it all over the news and print, uh, but voting in those small elections really, really do matter. So come out every November. Don't just come out every four years. Well, everything that really impacts you directly is reflective of this election. When we talk about fixing our roads, when we talk about teacher pay, when we talk about uh, get, ensuring women have rights over their own bodies, uh, when we talk about raising the, the the poverty wage from 725 to a living wage, I mean these are all local issues that impact us on a, in, on a very immediate basis. So you know 
a lot of the times, exactly what you said, people are so focused on the federal, um, they're focused on, you know, the border wall, or they're focused on, on, you know, the new NAFTA, or they're focused on making sure we don't have nuclear war with Iran. I mean, these are all important, critically important things uh, that we need to be involved in. Uh, and on top of that, on a local level, these, these things that impact your kids, that impact your parents, that impact you on a daily basis, are 90% determined by who your local uh, House of Delegate and local uh, state Senate candidates are. And, uh, and being actively involved there is going to go a lot further than a lot of people uh, realize up front. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm so encouraged to see more Black women and women of color um, and just people in the LGBTQ community that are going out and running for office. We're seeing a bit of an, a surge in that direction. And it's, it's great to see uh, that happening because many cases, there are Democrats, like you said, I, I love the fact that you're holding Democrats' feet to the fire on issues that they've sort of dragged their feet on, they're, a lot of times they're not really working for us. Um, and there's been many Democrats in certain districts and states that have voted mostly Republican and voted mostly with Trump on issues. So um, many of those people sure. are are currently being primaried and, and all the best of luck to those progressive Democrats that are out there doing that. Um, so it's it's an encouraging thing. And again, people just really need to pay attention to a lot of the issues that, um, you know, some of these Democrats are running on. I, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about gun control here. I live in Virginia Beach, where there was the mass shooting, leaving 13 people dead. I believe personally that AR-15s and weapons of war should be banned. But what is your position on the issue? I agree. I think that, you know, I was in Virginia Beach the day after the, the massacre and um, I came down for just to stand in solidarity and just kind of quietly in my corner just to be there for moral support. And, you know, when you even look at the guy who invented the AR-15, um, him and his family came out recently. He, he's passed away a bit ago, but his family came out recently and said, let's be clear, um, he did not create this for civilian use. He created this explicitly and exclusively for military use in a time of war. Um, it has no business being on the streets. But I think the issue goes fundamentally even deeper than that. Um, you know, we could quote the, the, the assault weapons ban that Bill Clinton passed in 1994. We saw a 43% drop in mass shootings. And then when it was lifted, we saw, I think, like a hundred and some percent increase in mass shootings. Um, but I think it goes fundamentally deeper than that. And that question comes down to, uh, do we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Uh, do, do, do we believe that it's okay um, for, or, or, or do we accept that um, uh, it's not okay for 40,000 Americans a year to die by preventable gun violence? Um, or, or the fact that the weapon of choice for people struggling with mental health or people who commit suicide is a firearm? Or the fact that, you know, 1,800 women a year are killed in gender-based violence and the weapon of choice is a firearm. Or that when a gun is present, women have a hundred times more likely to be killed than when it is not present. I mean, these are the questions that ultimately speak to the human condition, that speak to who we are as a people. And what's really enraging to me about this is that the jury is is, is no longer deliberating on this. I mean, the, 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 the verdict has come. 91% of Americans support universal background checks. 82% support red flag laws. 80% support firearm registration. If a, if a president won 
uh, you know, ran for office and won with 60% of the vote, we'd call it a landslide victory. You know, here we have initiatives that 80 to 90%, uh, here we have an initiative that 80 to 90% of Americans support. And yet we've got these corporate bought politicians who are just capitulating to the NRA and to the gun lobby and not taking a single step forward. It's gotten so bad now that when these mass shootings happen, there was another one last night. They don't even make a blip on the media anymore because it's become Oh, yeah. So- yeah, if it's not a certain number, then, uh, yeah, it doesn't even get the kind of coverage that it would, that it used to get back in the, you know, I guess probably early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, 19, I was a junior in high school when Columbine happened. And yeah. I- and I remember thinking to myself how horrible this is. I mean, this was before social media, right? So it was on the news for the next month, month and a half. And there was, you know, front pages of papers and the whole nine yards. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm just a kid. I'm 16, 17. But I'm sure that the people who are in power, you know, they've got, they've got a good grasp on things. They'll, they'll fix this problem. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm in touch with the kids who are leading the March for Our Lives movement. And I, I'm like, my God, I wish we had started that 20 years ago. Because if we had done our job back then, uh, we wouldn't be in this mess that we're in right now. And uh, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, until and unless we're actively involved, it will, this will continue. So, so one of my commitments, and, you know, Republicans are supporting me on this, uh, is I, I talk to them at the doors. I, I've, I've had sheriffs, police sheriffs tell me, you know, look, I'm a Republican, but we need universal background checks. Because when I arrive at a crime scene, I need to know that the people there with firearms should have those firearms. And right now, I don't know that. Uh, it's making our streets less safe. And, and you know, we can talk about you know, police issues for sure. But even on this, they agree we need to have a more common sense approach to this. And uh, so my commitment is that once elected, we will absolutely pass common sense gun reform legislation that certainly upholds the right to bear arms, the Second Amendment, um, but at the same time does so in a manner that doesn't result in a thousand Virginians a year being killed by preventable gun violence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so right now at the forefront of our n- politics and on the news cycle is the impeachment inquiry against Trump. What is your thoughts on the impeachment? I, I think this is the moment of truth for Republicans. I mean, if there ever was a moment of truth, you've got a guy who you know, had a, a whistleblower complaint and then had the audacity uh, after attacking the whistleblower as inauthentic or fraudulent, then has the audacity to admit on the White House lawn that he did exactly what the whistleblower complaint is accusing him of doing. Mm-hmm. And so if Republicans are still not willing to uphold, you know, uh, I always chuckle uh, when they call themselves the party of law and order, because it seems like the law and order is for everyone else but them. And, um, and, and, you know, I tweeted out the other day that it seems like the president doesn't want immigrants influencing our country unless it's, uh, it's a foreign dictator influencing our elections. Um, so, you know, it's pretty clear he broke the law. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I think that's just as clear as day. The question really is, what are Republicans going to do about it? And, and I think that uh, Speaker Pelosi should uh, absolutely move forward with the impeachment inquiry and force a vote on the issue and force Republicans to go on the record that they approve of a foreign country, a dictatorship, no less, like China, um, uh, influencing our election. I want Republicans to force uh, a vote, I mean, or, or to be forced to vote on this and, and state 
you know, for the record, do they stand with the Constitution and the American people? Um, or do they stand with foreign interventionism into our elections? What does America first actually mean now? Let's talk about that, right? They brag about saying America first. Well, here's an opportunity. Show us what you mean by America first. Uh, because if America first means we're going to deny uh, asylees from basic human dignity, um, then that's shameless. But uh, if America first should mean anything, it should be that uh, Americans should be first and only to influence our elections and not foreign powers. But it seems like it's just lip service for a racist policy and not to actually prevent uh, a foreign government from uh, demolishing our democracy. Completely agree. I want to switch gears really quick because, of course, we're Black girl nerds and we talk about nerdy and geeky things. <laughs> so <laughs> what what is something that is nerdy and geeky about you? I am a huge Simpsons fan. Uh, I could quote nice. any line from The Simpsons. Um, as, uh, definitely the first uh, 12 seasons. After that, they kind of fell off a little bit. It's a bit more spotty. But a uh, huge Simpsons fan. I absolutely uh, love it. My, my son, my 10-year-old son is a huge uh, Marvel fan. So we've seen every Marvel movie so far. Um, and I nice. uh, have a lot of fun with that too. So uh, that stuff I love. I think one of my favorite interviews of all time was when I had a chance to interview Yardley Smith. Lisa oh, really? Simpson, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and she did the voice for me, of course, which was great. So that was a big geek out moment for me. So yeah, I love the Simpsons and I'm amazed that that show is still strong and going after all of these years. My goodness. No, it's um, <laughs> Well, Kasim, can you tell our listeners where they can go to your website to find out more about you, um, any kind of events that you're going to be speaking at or anything that um, where they can go to find more information about you know, what you represent? Yeah, definitely. Our, our website is just my name.com, KasimRashid.com or RashidForVA.com, R-A-S-H-I-D for VA.com. And the, the big ask I'll have, uh, you know, most uh, people running for office ask for money. Um, I'm not going to ask for that. I'm going to ask for something far more valuable, and that is time. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this fundamentally comes down to voter turnout. And to make sure we have strong voter turnout, we need people to invest their time in writing postcards, knocking doors, making phone calls, sending text messages. Maybe you have a secret superpower that I don't know about, um, but let us know because we could use it. Um, and, um, you know, uh, as far as events coming up, we've got a whole bunch tomorrow. Night in Spotsylvania, we have the NAACP forum at the Salem Church Library at 6.30. Uh, my opponent has missed the last three NAACP forums, and he's supposed to miss tomorrow as well. For some reason, talking about issues that are important to uh, people of color are not important to him, uh, which should tell you a lot about where he stands on the issues. Um, we have a major rally in Stafford on November 1st, Friday night, right before the election to try to get people out. We have some national political figures coming that we'll be announcing soon as well. So we're pretty excited about that. But bottom line, you know, I'm pretty accessible. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me directly. But um, grateful uh, to you, Jamie, for this conversation. And, um, and let's hope we can get the strong turnout we need to flip the legislature and pass some of these basic human dignity uh, legislat legislative agendas that we have. Kasim Rashid, everyone, please go out and vote in November. Thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Really appreciate the conversation. Oh, thank you, too. 
I hope you enjoyed our episode of BGM Politics. Stay tuned for next week for our next guest, which you'll have to wait for on Wednesday when that drops. But in the meantime, I want to say thank you for tuning in. This episode is executive produced and edited by yours truly. The music on this podcast is provided by Filmstro. You can go to filmstro.com forward slash music. And this is an independently produced podcast. So if you do wish to lend your support and you like what you're hearing, you can go to patreon.com forward slash black girl nerds. Thank you all for your continued support of this platform. And we will see you next Wednesday.